an in-person perspective on the undefeated Wolverines next on this week's edition of Michigan Podcast. But there's going to be one team that's going to play solely as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. Looks deep for Anthony Clark. Waits for it. Yes, Clark. Hey, 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 you can't be a hard state. Brady gets terrific. Closer, get it, touchdown, night again. Schultz, just before Brazil got it, and a leaping interception by Woodson. Harbaugh back to throw over the middle, caught by Closer at the five on his feet, touchdown, Michigan. On his way. It's good. He's 5'7", 179 pounds, a junior at Michigan. But Jamie Morris packs a wallop, and he delivers for Bo Schimbeck. And here's your first play. Pressure coming. Sack. It is Glenn Steele, number 81, who fought his way through the traffic. Option. And Robinson calls his own number, and he's going to score. Oh, an easy touchdown for Robinson and Michigan. championship again because we're going to play as a team and when we play as a team and the old season is over you and I know it's going to be Michigan again Michigan. Go Blue. I'm Steve Dace. Welcome to this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. We are back to normal programming after a crazy week last week. I hope you had a chance, though, if you're one of our Patreon supporters, you got a chance to go listen to the exclusive podcast I did for you over on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Michigan Podcast. I made uh, kind of a, a trip down memory lane. Uh, as I made my first trip to the big house last week since 2016 and looking back over the course of my other previous trips to the big house and the memories from those games. So hopefully you had fun, got a lot of good reaction to that. Go back and get that if you've had, uh, if you've yet to have a chance to listen to it, it's a bit of an evergreen. Uh, This one though will of course be a lot more timely as we discuss Michigan football. And it's interesting to watch it in person after watching the entire season on television. We'll get to that here in a second, but first, a word from our title sponsor over at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the easy way to play daily fantasy. Just pick two to five players and an over under on their projections. You can win up to 10 times any bet on any entry. It's just you versus the projected numbers. This college football season, I've been making prize picks every episode here on the show. So far this season, I'm 11 and 9 overall. Here are my two picks for this week. 
This week, I like Jake Hayner, the Fresno State outstanding quarterback, to go over 305.5 yards passing against Nevada. And I like former Michigan Wolverine Zach Charbonnet to get over 125.5 yards rushing for the Bruins against USC. Don't forget, you can do this all over at Prize Picks, the award-winning, easy-to-use mobile app, both on the App Store and Google Play, the best legal way to play player props in states like California, Florida, Texas, and of course, Michigan. When you download Prize Picks today, set up your account using the promo code MICHIGAN. You'll get an instant deposit match of up to 100 bucks. That's right. An instant deposit match for up to 100 bucks. So download the Prize Picks app today on the App Store or Google Play. Use that promo code MICHIGAN for an instant deposit match of up to 100 bucks from Prize Picks. And now back to what Michigan football looks like in person compared to watching it on TV. First of all, just a tremendous atmosphere, a ton of fun. Uh, it's it's still amazing remembering what the big house was like as a kid. It was just a momentous structure, but now. Uh, I mean, so many great changes have been made. It is, it's a cathedral now. It's its a Taj Mahal of college football now. And from where I was sitting, I, for the first time this season, got the all 22 look, if you will, the eye in the sky look at a Michigan football game, as opposed to what we see just watching on TV. And I've, I've got some thoughts that I want to share. Now, these thoughts are about winning in Columbus two weeks from now, okay? I mean, I, I, I want to make sure that everybody understands here that clearly Michigan is one of the top five to eight teams in the country, so this is really just about winning the game that gives it a chance to be one of the top four, okay? I mean, I'm enjoying the heck out of this season, but let's talk about how we match up with Ohio State based on what I saw in person. First, first of all, Blake Corum, is, he's basically unstoppable. I thought Nebraska actually played good defense, never allowed Corum to get a run longer than 12 yards, but Corum still had 168 yards. There is almost nothing you can do uh, between the onslaught of Corum himself, our outstanding offensive line, and and frankly, Jimmy's stubbornness just to keep running the football no matter what. Those three things make it impossible to stop. And when you watch our offensive line, man, we finish a lot of blocks violently. Even on plays that don't gain a lot of yardage at times, so you miss it, we play nasty. I also thought, though, our pass pro was shaky too often at times. Basically, as we get into this now, my concern is the passing, the entire passing game to me. It looked broken. I thought there were few open receivers most of the game. I thought that our guys often didn't run routes that even provided opportunities for J.J. to back shoulder them or try to throw them open. Speaking of J.J., I thought he threw several bad balls in the game. And you guys know I love me some J.J. McCarthy, but... It honestly looked like he's regressing more than advancing. For the life of me, I don't understand why teams just don't play cover zero the whole game, daring us to throw. I don't know why teams don't do that. And the other thing you notice about our passing game is it's kind of hyper-risk adverse. We almost never run routes, let alone attack the middle of the field at all. Uh, So we force defenses to just not have to play about 20 to 30 yards of the field against our passing game. Uh, And and you got to remember, this is game 10. And there's just nothing we really have there unless we fool them, like on Ronnie Bell's touchdown or a play-action pass. And I don't see it suddenly getting turned on either. I think we just have to assume that J.J. missing all spring and most of the season stunted the growth here. We need extended practice time, like bull prep, spring ball, to catch up developmentally right now. 
It doesn't look in person like we're one step away either. It looks fundamentally flawed. It's even more painful to watch in person compared to watching it on TV, which was already unflattering. When it does work, you're almost pleasantly surprised. But defensively, we are obviously very good. But I think we should keep in mind in this last game, Nebraska is not. I actually saw several open receivers that even competent quarterbacks would exploit. Nebraska's two quarterbacks are just not that. Right now, the Huskers offensively are basically what Iowa was at the beginning of the year. There's more I could point out, but it, I don't want to overreact in light of what we've accomplished this season already. I mean, the fact is we're 10-0 for the first time in 16 years. Um, for only the second time since you know the 1997 National Championship season. And the weather was a factor as well. It was bitterly cold, very thick air. And I love being 10-0. However, I think the game script in two weeks in the game is going to be vitally important. I don't know how we win that game down there if we have to throw if we have to throw it more than 25 times, meaning we may want to if we're going to if we're going to play action them to death and I think we might end up doing that and it could be very effective. But if we had to throw like we're behind, I I I just don't see that. I mean, ours is not an offense where we have a a five-star quarterback developing. It's just a power run offense with a more mobile quarterback than last year. On the other hand, I'm not sure they're any more prepared to fight it out in the mosh pit than they were a year ago. This game in a couple of weeks, and we'll break it more down next week, but this almost looks like a classic NCAA tournament game, the team that wants to play half court versus the team that wants to get up and down the court, right? What tempo will the game be played at will likely determine who wins, and that's going to be the case, I think, in Columbus here in a couple of weeks. Uh, Of course, Michigan has one more game between now and then against Illinois, who's a good team. But the problem Illinois is going to have is it wants to play Michigan style of football with lesser talent. It kind of reminds me of Iowa in the Big Ten championship game last year. Uh, there's not a, a, a stylistic contrast or challenge there. So you're asking Michigan to play what it faces in practice every day all year round, but with lesser recruits. I just think it's a bad matchup for Illinois. Uh, nevertheless, though, uh, Illinois will punch back for sure. Uh, but uh, Ohio State is not going to want to play this game in a mosh pit. Michigan is not going to want to play first one to 40 wins. Like, it's fine if it if it's 42-27 like last year, but Michigan doesn't want to have to win this game 45-41, 42-38. So styles make fights, and it is certainly that's what's going to make the fight in Columbus here in a couple of weeks. Speaking of Ohio State, let's talk to our one reasonable bucknut friend, Mark Rogers, here next. Well, those were my thoughts a couple of minutes ago. Let's find out now what our one reasonable token Bucknut friend has to say. Uh, Our good friend Mark Rogers, who has a fantastic channel right here on YouTube you want to check out for yourself, The Voice of College Football. A lot of great information from correspondents and stringers and analysts across the sport teams all over the country. Good to see you again, Mark. How you been, man? Steve, I'm doing well. You are on target. There's no question Buckeye fans like myself have been anticipating this Maryland matchup the entire season. Just gearing <laughs> up for this one. So, you know, I gave what could be a slightly harsh assessment of what I saw in person in a game that was 34 to 3. And that and I, I just want to restate again, I'm doing this in relationship to beating a top three team on the road where you haven't won in 20 years. Right? I'm not I'm not 
sitting here and saying Michigan is not a legit top five, eight team in the country. They are. I'm not saying they haven't proven themselves. They have. Uh, the reality is this is an elite program everywhere except the passing game right now. It's it, There's not really, I mean, you can find, and when I say there were open receivers, I mean there were more than 34 to three. Like maybe it should have been more like 34 to 14. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm nitpicking here, but that's because we're, we're playing the top 1% of college football for the right to play the top 1% of college football here in a couple of weeks. So the, the margins get slimmer. And there's something else I want to share with the audience and get your take on as well. I looked up these numbers, uh, and, and, and this was not the most encouraging thing I've seen recently. So the last three games, which is a quarter of the regular season, Spencer Petrus at Iowa, 48 completions, 52% completion percentage, 506 yards passing, three touchdowns, no interceptions. J.J. McCarthy, Michigan, 36 completions, 54% completion percentage, 447 yards, five touchdowns, zero interceptions. Now, I obviously do not believe Spencer Petrus has the same kind of talent and ability as J.J. McCarthy. But what I am concerned about is if we have to play at Ohio State's tempo, I don't think we can do that. Now, I don't know how, I don't know how well you guys can play at ours, okay? But I, I am concerned that the game script, I think, has to go a certain way for Michigan to win. And the one caveat to what I'm about to, to, to all of this is, let me point this out. In play-action passing, Michigan, I think, actually has the highest QBR in America. I mean, McCarthy's numbers in play-action are incredible. But we're only running like three or four play-action passes an entire game. So that has me wondering if this is kind of like the old days where Bo and Woody are holding stuff back and practicing for each other a little bit all year long. Is if, you know, I know Jim Harbaugh is, you know, familiar with play action passing. I, I mean, I know that he knows what that is. To only be throwing three or four of those a game when you're running the ball for 250 yards a game does have me wondering if me might see like 15 of these in a couple of weeks in Columbus, if you know what I'm saying, okay? And, and so I think that you might see that. But if the game script goes Ohio State's way and we have to play from behind, that's where the passing game development, I think, comes into play then, and you're off script. And I'm not confident based on what I saw in person that Michigan can win like that, Mark. I'm trying to backlog on what opponents were looking at, J.J. McCarthy versus Spencer Petras, but 54% completion percentage over the course of three games is pretty alarming, considering that the completion percentage was 72, 73%. It was top, close to top in the country for J.J. McCarthy prior to that. I saw as much of the Nebraska game as I could stomach. There were better <laughs> games on. It wasn't competitive. It just... You know, without Casey Thompson out there, Nebraska doesn't have a shot against anyone who's decent at all. They've scored like 25 points in three games since he uh, was shelved. So I'm going to take it to the bright side, and that's that the Michigan rushing attack is not just good in the mold of Penn State's good. Minnesota with Mo Ibrahim is a really good rushing attack with a good offensive line and an elite back. Michigan seems to be able to run against anyone regardless of and and I was an elite rush defense. And it was still I think a buck 40, buck mm -hmm. 45 for Blake mm -hmm. Horm against Iowa when they should have been loading the box against him. I don't remember exactly in watching the game 
uh, how Iowa approached that defensively, but I know they went to Columbus and against Ohio State's rushing attack and against that passing attack, Iowa still trusted their corners to lock down Ohio State's receivers, so they must have been loading the box up to stop Blake Corum. But that offensive line for Michigan, for being the Joe Moore Award winner last year, is they're better this year. Blake Horm's better this year. He's better than Hassan Haskins. He's better than his 2021 self. So that's the positive side of this. Um, yeah, they just continue to miss these downfield shots. They had three or four against Nebraska. It always seems as though either receiver and quarterback aren't on the same page in regards to what they saw in coverage. So the ball's thrown to the wrong shoulder, thrown to the wrong side of the field, or J.J. just misses it. Now, at some point, he's got to be told this by Jim Harbaugh, former NFL quarterback, that it only makes sense that when you overthrow them, there's no chance that you're going to complete 0%. If you underthrow them, if you you know try to hit them on stride, but if you underthrow it, let's side on caution, these are not 50-50 balls. They're more like 70-30 balls. Give these guys a shot mm-hmm. to bring these things down. What have you seen in Ohio State's year-long quest to become a more physical team? And and your thoughts on the new defensive coordinator, who you will recall, I told you, is a great D.C. You know, I watch a lot of Big 12 football. You know, I used to own an Iowa State fan magazine. Still have a lot of friends there. But but it's not a man-ball league at all. Like, it's just not at all. Um, it, they play better defense in the last couple of years at places like Baylor, Oklahoma State, and Iowa State. Um, they played better defense than what we traditionally are used to in the Big 12, but it's not a man-ball league. It's His style of defense is actually more of a Don Brown style of defense than, you know, let's play in the mosh pit and slug it out here. So what have you seen from a Buckeye perspective on that front? Well, the best measuring stick, I think, is Penn State and Nick Singleton and uh, Keetron Allen were gashing them, not for big runs, not for 12 and 15 yard runs or anything past that. They were consistently moving the line back, uh, getting creases, getting their four to six yard gains. That's where they were getting against Ohio State. Ohio State would was not stopping the Penn State running game. Ohio State's defense turned out, JT Tuimoloau in particular, turned out to be the difference because of making outstanding plays by five-star players in in certain situations, but on a consistent down-by-down basis, they were getting run on by Penn State in particular. But it's it's an upgraded defense. There's no question. Mm-hmm. They are so much better. Uh, the front seven is so much better. The linebacking core. This is the best linebacking core at Ohio State with Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers. Although they only typically have two on the field, unless they may have a an option here against Michigan that's going to be interesting to see because they employed a third linebacker. Once uh, Dexter Williams, the backup quarterback for Indiana, came into the game to give them another dimension as a running threat, Ohio State went to three linebackers with Cody Simon. So they may, that could be an option that they mess around with uh, in preparations for Michigan and J.J. McCarthy's running ability. But uh, they still have issues in the secondary. It's a thin secondary based on injuries and just poor play by guys that were supposed to be better coming out of high school. So the secondary's marginal. The front seven, actually the linebackers, the defensive line based on recruiting rankings and past performance should be a dominant, dominant 
every down line, but it's it's it has its cycles. It has its spurts of dominance. It's not consistently dominant, but the linebacking play has been the most improved uh, unit on the field, both sides of the ball. Before the season, I predicted an all Big Ten SEC college football playoff. I think we're maybe one TCU loss away from that. Agree or disagree? Well, I think if the um, the committee goes by resume, we are there. Uh, if they honor the conference championships, which they've broken that trend a long, long time ago, so they make it a point on their criteria, but it is not number one first and foremost. So the resume is going to go the side of Tennessee, and the resume is going to go the side of Michigan slash Ohio State loser in a close game. So especially if North Carolina wins the ACC, they've done nothing to date against anyone better than Duke. Uh, of course, they're going to get their shot against Clemson, but really even their late season backloaded schedule of NC State and Wake is fairly weak and not what it could have been because those teams have faltered. Uh, so, yeah, a one-loss TCU team as a conference champion, I think, is in serious trouble, uh, despite the Big 12 being a pretty solid con conference top to bottom. The one thing I'm fascinated about is LSU. I, I have to believe if they win the SEC, even with two losses, they'll be the first two-loss team, right? I mean, can you yeah. foresee a scenario that the SEC champion is not, especially if they, you know, beat Georgia to get there, beat Alabama to get there, who the committee still has rated fairly highly? Uh, I, I've got to think that they would, and people forget about this. In 2017, we almost had a two-loss team. Remember, Auburn was number two with two losses and then lost um, I think it was, to, was it to LSU in the, in the SEC championship game? And so it's not like we haven't been close to having two lost teams before. So I think LSU would be a team that also controls its own destiny, right? Yeah, because they beat the direct competition in Georgia, which would still make it. But the other two spots are going to be taken by the Big Ten champion. And even as, even if a undefeated TCU emerges, there, there are two other spots. I, I think LSU with two losses, I think they're in. Uh, yeah, with with the, the the again, it goes back to resume. I think first and foremost for this committee, and LSU is going to be in the field. Uh, then they come out with an interesting conundrum of LSU, Georgia, Tennessee, mm -hmm. with Tennessee having that lopsided win against LSU, and can they include all three? Um, nobody's going to want that. I don't think they want the look of that, uh, although maybe ESPN gives them a nudge and says, go right ahead. We're good with that. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's going to be difficult to separate LSU, Georgia, and Tennessee because they all have something on the other to get out of, you know, to separate two out of those three uh, for the playoff field. Hmm. Mark, good stuff as always, man. We'll talk to you next week for the game. Looking forward to it, Steve. Thank you so much. It's hard to believe. It, every year I say this, every year it goes by so fast, especially with Michigan good again. It goes by even faster. Throw in as we get older how much faster it goes by. And it just seems like we just kicked this season off like 10 minutes ago, brother. College football fans, it's not the NBA. It's not Major League Baseball. Right. Cherish it when it's here. It's the shortest season of all. So cherish it. Amen. Absolutely. Amen. Wise words. Hey, we'll see you next week. All right. God bless. Thank you. This week's Twitter poll results, which phrase, sorry, typo, which phrase best describes how concerned you are about Michigan's passing game heading down the stretch of this stellar season? 
46.4% of you said, just win, baby, you don't care. 34.3% of you said what I said, which is danger, Will Robinson. 19.3% of you gave the answer, I wish in my heart of hearts I could. I'm just enjoying the ride either way. I wish I could say that. And, and hey, if, if we lose to Ohio State in a couple of weeks, nothing will take away from how great of – I'm never going to be if – if we go 11-1 and one and beat one of our two major rivals every single year, you'll never hear a complaint out of me, period. That's a great season, period. All right. So we're, we, I think, though, given the unique stakes here where we're both talking about being undefeated and maybe two and three in the country, uh, I think we, y- y- that game deserves to be kind of analyzed in a vacuum separate from the rest of the season until that game is played. And then you put the entire season into context at that point. Which brings us to our feedback of the week. Paul Skoll says, I really like your podcast, but this comparison is just meh. We're 10-0. and 0. Not all is bad. I just said that. I said that when I made the, uh, the, the points that I made. We're having a phenomenal season. A phenomenal season. This is really just about, okay, we're in rarefied air. You know, it's, it's a hell of an accomplishment to get there. And I'm, and I'm enjoying it immensely. Then the question is now, can you take that final step? And that's just me trying to analyze the final step. I, I think there's every bit the questions about Ohio State's physicality as there is about Michigan's ability to throw the football if it has to. And that's, that is one of the things that's going to make two weeks from now so damn fascinating. This isn't Bo and Woody, Bo versus, you know, or, or Woody versus Little Woody. These aren't programs that look like kind of carbon copies of one another stylistically. I mean, they're stylistically, culturally, in terms of what they emphasize. Ohio State really is a finesse team trying to play physical, and Michigan's a physical team hoping it doesn't have to play finesse. <laughs> All right, so it's going to be fascinating to see which side can can Ohio State get get up to a quick fourteen nothing kind of a lead that maybe staggers Michigan and gets it out of its element? Or can Michigan play the boa constrictor game all the way through, hang around, get to halftime, make its halftime adjustments? It's got a legendary string going on, streak going on right now in the second half of games in the last month or so. These are all fascinating subplots of a singular event, the game. I'm just talking about that. In no way, shape, or form would I detract from this season at all. It's been a hell of a ride. That'll do it for this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. Want to give a special shout out to Jay and to Joe. Both of you made our family's uh, weekend in Ann Arbor exceptional. You made us feel very welcome. Uh, you guys uh, made sure to point us in all the right directions to make everything happen. So uh, to both Jay Flannelly and Joe Simon, a special thank you to both of you. You guys, uh, we owe you one. You guys did a great job uh, for the Dace family, and we are very, very appreciative. And we're also very appreciative of all of you. Thank you for tuning in here this week on Michigan Podcast. Remember to like, rate, subscribe, share, five-star review, whichever applies, however you watch, like here on YouTube or listen, like maybe on iTunes. Help us to find more Michigan fans just like you. And also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter in between episodes, at Michigan Podcast. Until the next time, I'm Steve Dace. Go Blue.